Welcome to Framework, the podcast designed to help financial advisors challenge the status quo, grow your firm, and not only put best practices to use, but create new best practices altogether. Here's your host, an expert on all things financial planning, Jamie Hopkins. Welcome to the Framework Podcast. I'm co-host Ana Trujillo-Limon, filling in for Jamie Hopkins while he's out doing the most at Excel 2021. And today I'm so happy to be joined by Dr. Ajamu Loving, who's one of my favorite people in the profession. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Loving, and bringing your magnificent beard. Thank you for having <laughs> me and for letting me be one of your favorite people. That's, that's nice. Yes. I'm, I like that. It's the smallest, but he's up top. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So um, on the Framework Podcast, you know, we like to start things off because I love to eat and I know Jamie loves to eat. So asking people, what's their favorite food or your current food obsession? I mean, I've got so many food obsessions, but I'd say my current obsession is making the perfect brisket. Yeah. So I love brisket. I taste it all the time. I live in Texas. And so brisket is, is big out there. But that would be barbecue in general and steaks. Also, like pizza. You can see that this <laughs> this physique has been built by a food friendly atmosphere, and so yeah. I love good brisket. My mom, when we were, I was little, she used to make a nice brisket with dilly bread. It was sandwiches, and oh, it's so good. So yeah, I'm on the brisket. I love the brisket too. But in Colorado, they don't do good barbecue. So sorry, oh. Colorado. It's true. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we're, like we're dropping bombs yeah. today, huh? I love my home state, but uh, Colorado, man, in its own business. Barbecue. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Doctor Levine, what's your first money memory? Oh, hmm, my first money memory, and I don't know. I've always been the type of person who is money conscious. I remember one time I got in trouble at church. Our church is also a polling place, right? And so I was maybe three years old. And the post supervisor came up to my mother, who was in a meeting upstairs, I think maybe a Bible study or something. And I was downstairs and there was election season. And uh, he was like, look, your son is down here trying to charge people to vote. (laughs) (laughs) We can't can't have him him doing that. But I was used to like watching people give money at church. Right. So we're at church. All these new people are coming in. And no money was coming in. I was like, what does it make sense? Exactly. Missed like opportunities. What's, yes. What's going on here? Right. And so I've always been the type of kid who's fascinated with money and finances and how people make decisions to get stuff. Mm-hmm. And my mom fed into it, too. <laughs> totally. Oh, she did. Christmas is coming soon. So when I was a kid, I asked her. I might have been five. I said, so Santa makes the toys. And it's in the North Pole and like they're using magic to do it. Right. So why can't I just hand you the Toys R Us catalog and just say I want all of this and then just have Santa bring it? Make the magic. And happen. she was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not how it works. She's like, I have to pay. I was like, what? Did you have to pay Santa? I was like, I've never seen this in any of the movies or anything. She's like, oh, yeah, no. The parents who have money have to pay. And the parents who don't have money don't have to pay. And so now I'm thinking about a progressive scale with Santa Claus charging people for, for presents. And so it's like my head as a kid was like, I remember just a whole bunch of stuff coming at me. And eventually I got to the point that I sort of organized it, but I was always trying to figure it out. And I think in some ways I still am. 
So do you think, because I know your dad is a financial planner, so you kind of had that multi-generational money smarts in your family. Do you think that had a role in? <laughs> well, say money smarts. So you know what I've had is that I knew better every time I was messing up. So, like, I think a lot of times people think, hey, people make mistakes just because of ignorance. No, not all the time. It's because they want to do other stuff. Right. It's more fun. You know, it's more fun to eat Twinkies than broccoli. It just is, right? And it's more fun to spend irresponsibly than it is to save and try to do the right thing. Now, you start to become more acquainted with the long-term consequences of different behaviors, and you make better decisions and discount things better so you understand, like, oh, okay, it's not just the immediate moment, but also the moments that follow that factor into how much I enjoy something, right? And so once you can do that, then you can make better decisions and do it more easily and enjoy them. But before that, it just feels like it feels like a major inconvenience, I think, in some ways. I don't know. So speaking of just making money choices and decisions, what was the your first big purchase that you remember? Oh, first big purchase, like as an adult? Any time frame from childhood to, you know, yeah. teenage years. Oh, okay. So like let's see. I think I got in the eighties, you remember the eight ball jackets? The leather jacket. Oh, you're so much younger than me. Like, why would you know what an eight ball jacket is? But people out there, you know what the eight is. It's red and green and white, all these colors is black. And with the big eight ball on the back. And I bought that eight ball jacket from my brother with money that I was making working at the bowling alley. And I thought I was the sharpest thing walking. It's probably like 1991. I bet you felt cool. Box fade. Now, I go going it this way, but that back then was stuff that way. Oh. Do you still have it in your closet? <laughs> you should have brought it. Oh, my it. God. You're going to wear it anywhere no, in Vegas is a place to wear no, it. If I ever see somebody wearing one of those, I'm going to just fall mm-hmm. out in the street laughing. But, like Kendra Spirit? Yeah. Was, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look up how much it would cost to get an eight ball jacket now, and I'm sure it's ridiculous. I'm sure So it you is. could probably make some money sell it <laughs> on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does, strangely. But yeah, so I've always, at least when I was growing up, my first job, my mom was like, okay, you have to pick two things that you have to buy for the house and you always have to supply them. And I picked toilet paper and peanut butter because I thought, hmm, we don't go through peanut butter that much. And I, <laughs> I think I've greatly underestimated how much we went through toilet paper though. I really did because I was like, this is this is a lot more expensive than I thought it was gonna You're be. You're rationing it. Right. I was like, what's going on? Now I'm like a, a kid complaining like an old man in the house. Like, why is everybody using all of the toilet paper all the oh time? Gosh. Yeah, That's so yeah, yeah. So how many siblings did you have? Oh, so I, I come from a blended family. Mm-hmm. So it's myself and my, my brother Jabari. I have an older brother named Lamont got two stepsisters and uh, two half-brothers that are younger than me. So we're all kind of all over the place. But in terms of who lived with us, it was it was five of us. We had the Plymouth Voyager van with the, the wood paneling on the side. We had that van. Yeah. The brown one with oh, the... Oh, ours was maroon, <laughs> but it had the brown wood trim yes. on the side. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, gosh. We used to call it the burrito wagon because <laughs> my, my sister and I would sell burritos to raise money to go to volleyball camp. So we drive around that van. 
Nice. Oh, good memories. <laughs> yes, nice. Yeah, we used to put the tarp on it and then uh, drive to Atlanta and Augusta to see my aunts and grandmother and, uh, and visit them. And so have all of our all of our stuff on top of the car. Just the classic American family trip where everybody hates one another. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> love, but I'm just saying, like, that's a lot. 12 hours in a car together. It is. Yeah. You'd always envy the siblings that had the Walkman. Like, oh, wow, I'm on so bad, so I don't have to listen to everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, I did have a Walkman. Well, mm-hmm. I had a knockoff Walkman. I don't know what it was, but it played cassettes. Did you have cassettes? I did. I did. I grew up in the countryside. So got things a little late. We didn't have, we weren't cool enough for eight ball jackets. I think that was a problem. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, and when the batteries would die, remember that? The way oh, it would just go. Yeah, just <laughs> it's like, oh, man, it's right, the worst. Right. Yes, it's over. Oh, you gosh. have to bring extra batteries on the road trips, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. For sure. The first step to setting up the framework of your business is to have the right blueprint. But knowing what goes into that blueprint is half of the battle. We put together a free resource that you can use to set your firm down the right path. To get your free blueprinting guide, go to carsongroupcoaching.com. While you're there, be sure to check out all of our executive business coaches, how we help advisors like you, and read up on our framework podcast show notes and other insights. Just head on over to carsongroupcoaching.com to get your free blueprinting guide today. So it's great that we're meeting on this podcast because I was introduced to you through a podcast that you did with Bianca. That's how I like heard your name and yeah. you know got introduced to you. And so um, you were doing another one with Emma Miles Mattingly a couple of, yes. I think it was last year during the height of the pandemic when everything just closed. And you were talking a lot about generational wealth and how you know everybody has the ability to do well and build that generational wealth. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. I think that people have this misconception that people who are wealthy have had something big happen, right? It's like, oh, they hit it big with some great idea or got lucky and picked one stock. or You know, there's that misconception. Or they just have the greatest job in the world that just pays them so much that that's why they're wealthy. And the nice thing about having a dad who's a financial planner is you meet examples of people who started investing with $25 a month and just stayed steady. When I say nothing complicated, literally nothing complicated and didn't really change anything, acquired shares over time and created options for themselves and their families. I've seen people who, you know, a member of the family passes away and my dad's going there with the insurance check. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see the comfort that's provided by knowing that they're going to be okay, despite something like the most horrible thing happening that person is coming in and bringing something to bring comfort, but it's also making it possible for them and the next generation quite possibly to to live and be financially independent in many cases. And so I think if we are if we're careful about being steady with what we do and then also covering the bases that we need to cover, then any of us can put ourselves in a position where we will be wealthier later and we can pass wealth on to the next generation. You know, I've heard stories about how people think, oh, well, you know, money can mess kids up. Money gives you options. And I think 
what you do with those options is going to be based on what's in you and also the environment around you. And you can cultivate environment of productivity within your home with regard to money. And you can pass these positive traits onto your kids and family and make it more likely that they're going to be financially successful. And it will make you not just willing, but glad to be able to leave something for them, for them to plant a seed for the next generation, right? So then it becomes something about building and building over time rather than just giving somebody something that they can just lay off of and do nothing with their lives and you know, just think that, think that they're just going to live off the pillow sack of money that they have, right? That's not what it's about. It's about creating an opportunity and Seeing things through to a degree that a lot of people don't, having that long-term vision, it's tough to do initially, I think, sometimes. But but once you get tuned into that sort of thinking, then it, it becomes a little easier and enjoyable, right? See, that's the funny thing. People are like, oh, you're sticking to budgets and you're doing things that it's like, I don't like that. I want to be able to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Me too. But the difference is I've decided what I wanted to do. I've written these things down. I've attached timelines and dollar signs to them. So they're not just wants, they're goals. And so I know I want to do those things. And so I'm going to attach my behavior to where it is that I want to go and what I want to do. So yeah, I'm I'm happy about living in a budgeted lifestyle. Why? Precisely because I am getting to do what I want to do, right? And so it's about perspective. It's about Deciding about being an adult. <laughs> Someone fun being an adult. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, that's how you make the good things happen that you want. Absolutely. So, so I think I'm hearing like the consistency and the building the good habits. And it's very similar to like health and working out. So I know you do martial arts and you work out, you post your pictures, you know, of your <laughs> <laughs> workouts. What do you have to say about like kind of the relationship between building generational wealth and then also health? Yeah. The health aspect, because that's a big one. You know, in two ways, right? They're alike in that you're doing a little bit by little bit, and you don't notice anything at first, except for maybe exercise like those first days that you're dog tired, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe you recognize a little later, like, I'm not as tired from doing the same workout. Maybe I'm getting a little bit in shape. And I think with saving and investing and doing things the right way financially, it's the same way, right? You start doing small things, paying premiums on small policies, having uh, small amounts of your salary allocated towards investments, and you're just doing a little bit. And you look at that, those balances initially, they seem so small. And you seem weak when you're working out at first. But then you just keep doing it steady over time, and you get stronger, and you get better, and it gets more enjoyable. You know, I see them alike in that way, but also, your health is your wealth to a certain degree, right? Remember, your this human capital that we have is housed in our bodies. And so our ability to earn uh, revenue for, for whatever it is that we're trying to do to take care of ourselves and loved ones is in part based on our ability to physically and mentally impact the world in a way that they're going to be able to pay us what we're worth because we are worth something when we do that, right? But you have to take care of yourself in order to do that too. And so having positive habits in the realm of health and wealth, it's funny in research, a lot of times you'll see type correlation between those two things. And sometimes they will use proxies 
based on physical health choices Mm -hmm. to give an idea of how myopic you are and how likely you are to make choices that are detrimental financially or that are productive financially. I don't know if you know Barb O'Neill. She used to be the academic editor for the journal, but she published an article with us way back when I had first started over there about the propensity to plan and the tie-in from that. You're, you're planning for your health and you're planning for your wealth. And so that tie, I love the research like that, that ties the two of them together. So that's why I love to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, I think when you start doing things that are helpful to you and things that are actually building you up in one area of your life, it can make it easier for you to sort of translate it and do it into other. Now, that's not to say that that's one of those things that's a sure shot, because you will find people who are extraordinarily disciplined in certain things, and then you'll look at, you know, their finances or whatever, that's all off the rails, right? But I'm just saying it can work that way. Part of being a great fiduciary is helping your clients understand their full financial picture, and it should be no different for your life. Do you know what your business is worth? Get your firm valuation today with our free valuation calculator. Whether you're looking to share equity with your team, buy another firm, prepare for an exit, or just simply want to see the market value of your business, visit carsongroup.com valuation to get started. Yeah, like I'm really disciplined when it comes to running, but not when it comes to like pizza. Yeah, right. (laughs) Pizza discipline is tough and (laughs) it's hard. I mean, there's no research about that. We need to figure that out. (laughs) Why is it so hard? Yeah, they're putting something in it that just makes it really difficult. That right combination of grease. (laughs) Yeah, the pepperoni and the cheese. Yeah, yeah. it Mm -hmm. does it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that we've always connected on, and I've interviewed you a bunch of times on the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And one thing you said to me that I always love is that you say it's like the financial planning process doing this work as a profession and how we have a lot of work to do as a profession, but I'm starting to see a lot of really good trends. But can you tell our, our listeners a little bit more about how the financial planning process is similar to, to how we're going to incorporate DEI into our firms? Sure. And, and I think that the financial planning process is good because it gets beyond smoke and mirrors and gets down to the brass tacks. And I think that's why it's so effective at creating the uh, behavior and environment that cultivates wealth over time. Why? Because you're doing the things, you know, you're, you're setting the expectations at the beginning. You're gathering the right type of information. You're analyzing it. You are presenting recommendations. And then you're going to, you know, follow up after they've executed those. And that just, that is a, is a recipe. If you apply that to anything, Let's go in. Let's let's take a look at what it what's going on. Let's decide what it is that we want. Let's be real about making some serious goals. Let's really start to look at how we're going to get there and then execute and then continue to loop back around and check to see how things have gone and, you know, improve the things that are not operating as well and do more of the things that are going great. Right. That type of thing is good with anything. The problem with things and ideas like diversity is that sometimes people don't think it's profitable, so they don't treat it the same way 
that they treat other elements of business. And so my goal is for, to get people to understand that, you know, it's just like any other business goal. You're going to have to get down to the brass tacks of understanding precisely where you are, where you want to go, how you're going to get there, and then making sure that as you are going through the journey, you're still mindful about all of those other things about where you want to go because things can change over time too, right? But you have to be serious enough to commit to something like that for you to really have the type of impact that you are, you know, likely to have or really fully have the impact that you could have. And so that's why I like the financial planning process as a model for diversity and actually building diversity, because it gets beyond the little statement on the bottom of a page Mm -hmm. or like like something that scrolls across the screen like we like everybody (laughs) yeah okay great but what does your company look like what does your clientele look like what is the impact that you're making look like and it's important to do that because at the end of the day we are in service to the entire country and so we need to be concerned about what america looks like and what the financial pocketbooks the households in america look like and the opportunities they are going to have because that's us that's our country that's our future Those are our lives and collectively our quality of life is going to be dependent in some ways on the condition of others. And so it's important that these race-based differences that we see in wealth become differences just based on the actions that you've had. And we, there's no explanatory power Mm -hmm. to the race, the race that people have and, and the opportunities that they have based on race are not, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not based on race. They'll be based on the contents of their character and the work that they do. You know, as a professor and, you know, you broke some ground with your PhD in, in the profession, what is the future that you want to see for your students and your clients and, and people in the next generations? What does the future of the profession look like for you? Well, I think it looks bright. And I'm an optimistic person in general. Right. But I think the future looks bright. I think the future looks diverse. I think the future is going to prominently feature women professionals and hopefully women politicians to get just beyond the financial side of things. I just I think that more inclusivity in terms of working with and the real ideas that come from all of the people here in this country, I think that that's what's going to lead us into a brighter and more successful future where we can compete with anybody anywhere in the world and the American standard of living is going to stand out as a great one. If we do what we're supposed to, I'm confident we will. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I think so. So what are some of those things we're supposed to do? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Do we have enough time? (laughs) Let's just say recognizing the value that all of us have, regardless of background, and understanding that people, even though they aren't as much like you as you are used to within your normal circle, can be incredibly positively impactful on your life, on your business, and on how we all live with one another. I think if we start to open our minds to those things and really pay attention to one another and see to one another's needs in some, in, in some ways, I think that we'll be okay. I'm confident that. that we will. Yeah, I think so. I tend to be very optimistic, even yeah. on my Facebook post sometimes I like to make <laughs> jokes. <laughs> but no, I, I agree with you. I feel like the future, we're moving in such a great yeah. trajectory that I'm starting to feel 
you know, and especially here where I landed here at Carson, like just the inclusive culture and the ability to start to be more my authentic self. I'm seeing that trend in a lot of places, not just here. So that's wonderful. And it's one thing for it to be tolerated, Mm -hmm. but the fact that it can be elevated, appreciated, Mm -hmm. and you can actually feel welcome as your true self, that's pretty cool. So, Dr. Loving, I have um, just one more question for you, and this is a big one, so we can take some time. Many years down the road, what is the legacy you want to leave and what you want people to say about you when you're gone? What what is that? Oh, wow. I don't know. what You know what? Uh, What I do want is to have a lot of graduates who are out there as excellent professionals elevating University of North Texas at Dallas, but also elevating the financial planning industry and positively impacting the lives of all these different households and families, including their own. And I want them to be able to say, hey, I learned a lot of this stuff with Dr. Loving. And I think that would be pretty cool. And beyond that, I don't know what else they're going to say, but hopefully they mention the beard. So, Dr. Living, where can people find you on LinkedIn, Twitter? What, what are your handles and your uh, websites? Yeah, so um, uh, Dr. Ajamu Loving on Money and You on Facebook, Dr. Ajamu Loving and Ajamu Loving on Instagram, and then at Ajamu Loving on Twitter, and uh, also ajamuloving.com. So, God, that really sounds like I'm into me. <laughs> <laughs> if I were you, I would be into me too, Dr. Loving. <laughs> Thank you. No. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all for tuning into the Framework Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Framework. We enjoy putting these shows together and we love hearing your feedback. So please send me an email at jhopkins at carsongroup.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me at Retirement Risks on Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Framework and find additional articles and downloadable resources at carsongroupcoaching.com. Music.